Hello everyone and welcome to episode 17 of SIDcast. I'm your host, David Gibson, just as I was in the previous 16. Hasn't changed yet. I remember when I said I was only going to do 14 of these. And it was going to be like every two weeks and now we're <laughs> on episode 17. And so this one, a uh, special episode with Jen Heisel of San Diego State Aztecs. Hi Jen, how are you on West Coast? Doing well. You know, it's a beautiful day. We don't have any snow. It's in the 80s. Couldn't ask for anything more. <laughs> it's uh, 31 outside where I am. <laughs> it's getting dark in the mornings and I don't like it. I don't like that I lost an hour of sleep. And No, but it's sunnier later. Yeah, yeah. That's the good thing. I'm always confused. Um, <laughs> did you fill out a bracket? I did. Yeah. I um, I like to fill out an SID bracket, so I fill it out based on who I know in various schools. So <laughs> it's filled out that way. Um, obviously, you know, very scientific method. Um, you know, can't guarantee any winners. And obviously, I'm not betting on it. Hashtag don't bet on it. <laughs> following NCAA compliance. But, you know, yeah. I do it for fun. Yeah, and obviously today is the first day for the first round. We had a couple good first four games, uh, including the uh, University of New Orleans choking of the teammate thing a couple days ago. That was interesting. Uh, <laughs> hoping to a fun one. Oh, who, what's your biggest upset you have? Or what, what are you calling so that you're on oh. record? <laughs> well, like I said... Um SID bracket. So, <laughs> so I would have to go back and look at exactly what I did. Okay. Um, I I honestly don't even remember how I filled it out because I filled it out based on, oh, I know someone there. I know someone there. I know someone there. <laughs> so I don't know if I called any upsets. Oh, cool. Well, if it works out <laughs> that way, then more power to you. A couple of house cleaning stuff. Thank you all for listening, downloading, subscribing. Uh, rating and reviewing. I know every single podcast says to do that, but it is really important. Um, it helps out with iTunes algorithm, and it also helps that iTunes know that you like it, like the podcast. So um, take a minute, takes five seconds to give me either a one star or a five star. So if you want to give me a one star, that's fine. It doesn't bother me. Um, we're at that point in the semester. Where, if you want to fight me, I, it really doesn't bother me. Um, so, yeah. And, as always, you can follow us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or also on Twitter, Facebook, sometimes Instagram. I keep on forgetting that I have an Instagram for this, but I promise to update it soon. I know, I'm kind of bad at that sort of thing. So, <laughs> uh, Jen, how about we uh, jump right into it? Sounds great. All right. You had a kind of different path to sports information. First of all, why did you get into it in, in the first place? Well, my... It's it's a very long story. Um, I, growing up, grew up in northern New Jersey, about an hour west of Manhattan, and grew up a diehard New Jersey Devils fan. My dad had season tickets. We went to the games. We would probably go to 20, 25 games a year. And it was one of those things where we would be riding in the car. We lived about half hour, 45 minutes from where the Devils were playing. And we would be riding in the car and had one, we would get one program at the beginning of the season. And I would have my dad quiz me on every number. 
So number 21, list who has worn number 21. And I would go through and I would list. List who has worn number 30, and I'd go through and I'd list. And, I mean, we did that for probably, I think we had season tickets for five or six years. And I fell in love with hockey, fell in love with, you know, that that kind of atmosphere and the smell of the ice and you know you're at the rink and it's I mean hockey is like nothing else so when it was time for me to choose what college to go to I said okay well it has to be a the school itself has to be bigger than my town so it had to be over 20,000 people the school had to be in a city that had both an NHL team because I knew that I wanted to work for the NHL because I loved hockey so much and it had to have a marching band because I was in marching band. So so, so that basically narrowed it down to the university of Buffalo and USC. And, um, my parents both went to school in Buffalo. My mom went to, um, Buff state, which is a small D three school. And my dad went to UB. So I ended up going to UB for two years. And while I was there, Um, in high school, I had worked for a very small radio station in town, um, oldies 1510 WRNJ. I was their Sunday news anchor. So I would, um, read the news Sunday mornings. I'd get up at four 30. I'd get there, read the news at five, six, seven, eight, nine. Um, and I loved it, and I loved. I would write stories for them. I'd go out to town council meetings. I'd interview them, um, and I thought it was great. So, um, so when I got to Buffalo, I got an internship with the Sabers doing broadcast, um, and it was great. But it was more video editing and that kind of thing. Um, and then one day the Sabres were playing the Devils and I was the stat runner for MSG who broadcasts all of the Devils games. And I ended up talking to the director of the broadcast. And I said, you know, I'm from New Jersey. I'm a diehard Devils fan. My dream would be to work for the Devils. It was just like I couldn't ask for anything more than working for the Devils. And he said, oh, okay, no problem. Ended up interview, uh, introducing me to Chico Resch, who was their color commentator at the time and played for the Devils as a goalie. He also played for the Islanders and a bunch of other teams. And Chico said, oh, absolutely, no problem. We'll get you an internship this summer. You know, give me your, uh, here's my address. Give me your address, your phone number. Send me your resume. Send me all your information. I'm going to talk to Mike Levine, who was at the time the vice president of communications. He did. Mm-hmm. And I end up getting a call from Mike Levine asking me to interview with the Devils for a summer internship in their media relations department. So I, I interview with them. I have one interview. My second interview is with Lou Lamorello, who was the de- general manager of the Devils for years, like 20 God, I don't remember the exact number, but it was 20-something years. He's a legend. He's with the Toronto Maple Leafs now. But, I mean, he is, a, he is like, a god among men in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and, and here I was, sitting in his office, looking at him, interviewing for this position, this two-month internship with the Devils. Ended up getting the internship, and it was just, oh, my gosh, I have so many 
incredible experiences from that summer and it, it was off season but yeah. i still learned so much that summer um but mostly i just sorted and threw things out and kept a lot of you know random memorabilia that we were just going to throw out and um it was just, god it was just incredible so from there i kind of i had an idea that i wanted to do media relations because you know especially working with the devils last summer i'm a pretty strong writer i'm i have good interpersonal skills and those things combined kind of led me towards media relations so from there i um started working in buff buff states um, athletic department which as a d3 is it was small it was a two-person yeah. one person doing the compliance sports information you know, he was doing everything, and he had an assistant, but she was only working part-time. Um, so I started working with them, you know, doing stat crew, writing recaps every once in a while, that kind of thing. And then my the summer before my senior year, I started working or volunteering, volunteering slash interning, with the Niagara Ice Dogs, who are a major junior hockey team in St. Catharines, Ontario, um, Ontario Hockey League. So I started working with them. It was community service, just, you know, I mean, that summer it was basically just hanging out at golf courses around Southern yeah. Ontario. It was awesome. It was <laughs> the best summer. Southern Ontario, if you've never been there, is in the summer, 75 and sunny every day. Nice breeze coming off the Niagara and the lakes. It's, um, I forget what, what it's called, but it's some sort of geological anomaly, the way that the, the ridge is set up mm -hmm. that that area is on. And so it's perfect weather. There's wine, there are golf courses. I mean, it's incredible. And so I basically spent a summer hanging out and told them that I loved working with them, didn't want to the internship to end. So I became their de facto media relations coordinator, mm -hmm. basically by asking if I could become the media relations <laughs> coordinator. <laughs> and so on game days, I would uh, I'd drive the 45 minutes to St. Catharines, cross the border, and go to the games. I would do game notes, um, help out with scouts. I'd write the game recap. I'd tweet, you know, that all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I was getting close to graduation, I kind of realized that I had no irons in the fire. I, um, didn't have any prospects coming up and I had always wanted to move to California. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of family out here in Southern and Northern California. So I took the GRE and applied for grad school at San Jose state and contacted Lawrence Fan at San Jose State, who is a legend, Cosida Hall of Famer, uh, head of the Job Seekers Committee, mm -hmm. and asked him for a graduate assistantship, and kind of the rest is history. <laughs> I became a graduate assistant at San Jose State for two years. I absolutely loved it. Never thought, had one inkling of working in college sports, but, you know, it, getting out to California was my, my kind of goal. And it really transformed into this, you know, kind of defining my career path, putting me on this path to college sports and 
that kind of thing. So that's a very long-winded way of, <laughs> of saying how I became an SID. <laughs> um, does it, real quick, does it bother you that there's no hockey team in San Diego? Technically, there is. Okay, the goals? The, the San Diego goals yeah. are an AHL team. They play in um, Valley View Casino Center which is uh, right by the ocean. It's a little old facility. Mm-hmm. I have not been to a game, um, so I don't know. It, yeah. it does bother me, but thankfully <laughs> San Diego is only an hour-ish from Anaheim. It I could get up to Anaheim in an hour and a half. So I'm close to an NHL team. Um, when the Devils were playing Anaheim, I was somewhere with women's basketball, so unfortunately I didn't see it. But, you know, I miss hockey all the time. (laughs) And especially after working with hockey at Penn State, that makes it a little different, too, because I was around it all the time. I was at the rink all the time, just hanging out, and now I haven't seen hockey in what feels like years. But, you know. Yeah, you you moved back to uh, Pennsylvania, and you said you always wanted to live in California. Was moving back east ever an option, or was that something that just kind of happened? Or <laughs> I so I graduated or or was getting ready to graduate from San Jose State, and I had interviewed or not interviewed, but I had applied for anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> I went on Cosida, and you know that. Because Lawrence is head of the Job Seekers Committee, and he knows everybody, uh, that helped a lot. So I I looked at positions, went over positions with him, and said, well, do you think this would be a good fit? Do you think that would be a good fit? And it was kind of narrowed down to um, Alabama State and Penn State. Yeah. And I interviewed with at both schools, had great interviewing experiences at both schools and both were going to be incredibly different. Alabama State is an HBCU um, and in the South, obviously, Montgomery, yeah. Alabama, and I uh, I am from suburban New Jersey and had never been to Alabama. Mm. My only experience with the South is my sister lives in Dallas, but that's <laughs> not even really, the, I mean, it's the South, but it's not the deep South. So I had never had had an experience like that. I knew that it was going to be an incredible learning experience. Everyone that I talked to from there uh, at the time, uh, I think Dwayne Lewis, who I, I believe is now at Prairie Prairie, Prairie View A&M, mm-hmm. I think he is now. Um, but everyone that I talked to was so kind and welcoming and just so excited. Anything that I wanted to do, they were excited about. And, you know, I wanted to get into more writing, feature stories, that kind of thing. And they were totally on board. Um, so I really, I really like that about them. And then I interviewed at Penn State and it was kind of like, okay, well, State College is three hours from home. It's four hours from Buffalo. It's Penn State. It's Big Ten. And... From here, I could really punch my ticket and go anywhere. Right. So I would be a fool to not take this job. <laughs> and and so that's what happened. I had no inkling of ever going back east. I mean, you live if you ever get the opportunity to live in California, especially being from the East Coast, you can kind of understand where I'm coming from. It's liter- like in San Diego, it this has been a 
quote-unquote hard winter. Yeah. We've had a lot of rain. I think it's like 10 inches or something like that of rain. And that's considered a hard winter. Mm-hmm. I went. I lived in Buffalo for four years. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so for me, it's just it's just unbelievable to be able to wake up every morning, not have to look at the weather. If it's if it's cloudy, that just means that it might be in the sixties. Oh, boo hoo! Yeah. yeah it's, and San Jose is similar. San Jose is um, at least this year they've gotten way more rain than we have. But it rained in the two years that I was there. It rained probably eight times so it's i mean it's just and san jose itself the bay area is just an incredible place to live it's vibrant it's exciting everyone has something going on and i loved i loved living there absolutely loved living there um so i had no thought of ever moving back east and then it just kind of happened right yeah i want to talk about kind of something that you said um fit when you're looking for a new job. And I, I found myself, uh, this is kind of ironic, because I was talking to my friend about this the other day. He loves the NBA. And he said, you know, it would be my dream to work in the NBA. And I said, well, who would you work for? Who would you wouldn't? And he said, I think I'd be a good fit at, you know, I think he said the Bucks or the Pacers or something like that. I wasn't really listening. Um, shows I'm a great friend. Yeah. <laughs> so were there places that you looked at that you thought, I could really thrive here? Like you said, Alabama, uh state or Penn State and were there places that you saw and you thought there's there's no way I would ever be able to grow there yeah for me I have to have and I I absolutely hate this phrase and I hate that I'm saying this but (laughs) I have to have a good work-life balance right um I have to know that I'm going to be able to both thrive at the school and in the athletic department and thrive personally so for me, I looked at places, big cities, State College is not a big city, but that was a little different. Um, <laughs> but I was looking at big cities that were close to people I knew, um, that had good opportunities, cultural experience, excuse me, cultural experiences, uh, professional sports that I could go and watch, you know, vibrant communities that I knew that I could enjoy when it was the off season. And really, that's kind of what it boiled down to. Um, Montgomery is a big city. It's it's a small city, um, but there were a lot of cultural experiences, and it was close to Dallas to my sister. I could it would be a long drive, but I could drive it. Right. And flights were cheap, and I, I mean, I had an apartment picked out. I had everything. <laughs> I was ready to go. I was excited. I, you know, it was going to be this great experience for me. And I was really looking forward to going there. And then the Penn State thing just kind of happened. So for me, uh, yes, I, I looked at places that I knew that my personality, my style of work would fit into. Right. And I think that that's so important. You can look, if you look at Cosida, um in probably a month, it'll be a lot there'll be a lot more job openings because, you know, once people are done with basketball and whatnot and they kind of reevaluate what they want to do, they shift and change and whatnot. Um, but if you could go on Cosida at the end of April and see 30, 40 job openings right. and apply for every one, but you may not fit at every one. Yeah. 
So it's, it's a matter of knowing your skills and knowing yourself, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't, and not just accepting the first thing that falls into your lap, because that could be, that could be terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Did you tell people you're going to go work for Alabama State? I, I hadn't made it public. I had told my parents and my family and they were all kind of did one of those yeah, 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 yeah. Really? <laughs> Are you sure that this is a good idea? You know, being from the north and, you know, being from the, you know, from with my background. Are right. you sure that this is a good idea coming from northern California going to the deep south? Are you sure? <laughs> and I was gung ho, you know, ready to go and yeah. yeah. So, when you uh when you told them that, and imagine if you would have told other people and then all of a sudden you tell them well, actually, I'm going to go work for Penn State. I mean, how how did you, like, what would be the perception there, and how would you, do, would you have to explain yourself? I mean, because I do the same thing. I tell people, I'm going to do this, this, and this, and then I, I end up not doing it because, obviously, things change and opportunities change. It's it's really funny when I look back on the on the reaction of people when I told them I was work, I was going to go work at Penn State. It was... It was one of those things where, and I remember this so vividly when I was at San Jose State, and it started to get around that I was even interviewing at Penn State, because they flew me out for an interview. And coming from San Jose State, which is a, a smaller shop, at the time it was a smaller shop, We it was our first year in the Mountain West, um, so there were only one there were only three full-time SIDs and two graduate assistants. Um, so coming from a smaller shop where everyone's in the same building, everyone knows each other's business. You know, we all helped out at everything. It was, it was shock. It was, Oh my gosh, she's going (laughs) to Penn state like that type of thing. So it wouldn't have even mattered if I had told everyone that I was working (laughs) in Alabama state. The more, the most exciting thing was that I was even interviewing at Penn state because no Mm. one had ever done that before. Yeah. So, um, how did you come to San Diego? You miss California, obviously. (laughs) So, so, so this is what makes my path really unique. I was working at Penn State. I had worked there for almost a year. Um, and then in April, women's hockey, I was working with women's soccer, women's hockey, and men's lacrosse. And in April, I was working with men's lacrosse. I absolutely loved working with them. They were such, are such a great staff to work with. They're now third, number three nationally, so that's awesome for them. Mm-hmm. But I I absolutely loved working with them. They were, they're great. They're welcoming, warm. All the kids on the team were really nice. I was traveling with them. And I just kind of reached this point where it wasn't one thing that happened. It was just knowing myself and kind of recognizing what I wanted out of my life. And I realized that I had to go back to California. I was going to, you know, I didn't have a job. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I just knew that I had to be back in California. I have a lot of family here. I, most of my extended family is here. I had created this really good group of friends here in California that were kind of up and down the, the West Coast. And so kind of without a 
job without an idea of what I was going to do. I talked to my, I talked to family that I have that lives in San Diego and they offered to let me stay with them until I kind of got on my feet. And I, I gave my three weeks notice at Penn state and my last day was June 10th. And that was going to be, that was after lacrosse season was done. Um, so I had wrapped everything up, everything was good to go. And on June 10th, I drove up to Buffalo, saw some of my friends and flew out to San Diego a couple weeks later without a job. (laughs) So I, in that time, I had emailed Jamie McConaughey, who works at San Diego State, who I had met when I was doing softball at San Jose State. And I said, you know, I'm moving to San Diego. I don't have a job. I don't have any prospects. I know that I want to stay in the profession. I'm willing to volunteer. I'm willing to work for free. Let me know if you guys need any help. He emailed back maybe a couple hours later and said, well, actually, we have a part-time position that's opening. (laughs) So be on the lookout for that. You know, you'll definitely be in the top consideration. We know what you can do. I know what you can do that type of thing. So like anything in the Cal State system, it took forever for the job to post. (laughs) The job finally posted. I applied. It took forever to move on in the process. And I ended up getting this part-time position and started working at San Diego State in early September of 2015. So. Yeah. And you detailed this entire story on a, a site called Sparkles and Sports. So for, for those who don't know, what is that and, and what, what's its purpose? Sparklesandsports.com is a blog run by Katie Gwen Hewitt at Michigan and Olivia Coro at East Carolina. They are incredible. So I'm going to plug this about <laughs> 17 times. But it's a blog designed for women working in college sports. I know for me, and and part of the reason that I wanted to become involved with the blog, coming up in sports as a woman is is insanely hard. You're dealing with men that come up to you and say, oh, well, you don't know about sports. You, you can't possibly know about sports. Or, you know, just the underlying inherent biases that people have about women working in sports. So... And, and you're also dealing with different things, too, you know, starting a family and um, having that balance of a life versus a life outside of your job versus your job. Um, so the site is really good and diverse about opinions and ideas and, you know, their guest blogs and features from, you know, different women all in different levels of sports. And it's wonderful. So if you need help finding it, just find me on Twitter and, you know, I'll direct you to it or it's uh, sparklesandsports.com. There you go. Perfect. I've looked at a couple looked at a couple articles on there. Great resource to have. But now I want to talk about uh, coming up in sport or college athletics as a woman. Uh, like you said, detail kind of I, mean, I, I really don't know what, what to ask about this because I know that there there what was the worst thing that you heard when when you told somebody uh, that you were coming up in, in college sports? Oh boy well <laughs> <laughs> it's um for 
me, it's been a lot of a lot more um, inadvertent prejudices. So I have been called little lady. I've been called cutie. I've been called sweetie. I've been called a bitch. Sorry for the vulgarity. (laughs) I've been called standoffish. I've been called so many things you wouldn't believe that I know that my male counterparts would never be called. Yeah. But mostly it's, it's people who have inadvertent prejudices. For instance, working at, I worked at one place that my counterpart was allowed to wear whatever he wanted and I had to dress business casually every day. And in a final evaluation, I wore, I wore a jacket in this office a lot because it was very cold and I was docked in a final evaluation because I was not dressed professionally every day because I was wearing a jacket. Meanwhile, my counterpart would wear sneakers and shorts every day. So it's, it's just little things like that. Or I was taught how to answer phones when I know that my male counterpart was not. I, you know, have been passed over for positions <clears throat> because of certain intangibles, I use that in quotes, that I have that another candidate did not. I interviewed for a position, I'm not going to name names or say the organization, but I interviewed for a position and was one of three finalists and was very qualified for the position. You know, if, if I was qualified, I was probably overqualified for the position. I knew people on the staff. I, you know, I wanted the position so badly and I made it known. And I was passed over for a man. And when I told people about this and looked at the makeup of the organization, Nobody was surprised because a woman had never been in this position. Hmm. Yeah. And I was simply passed over because of my gender. Because at the time it, it was for a professional hockey team. And I, there was a lot, that was at the time when, um, I don't know if you remember this, when the Jets sideline reporter, uh, a female sideline reporter was in the locker room and there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not women should be allowed in the locker room. And already I had worked for, I had done um, game day media relations for the Buffalo Bills when I was an undergrad, when I was a senior in college. And already I was not allowed in the locker room. And I didn't understand that because I had worked for NHL teams that I knew that I was allowed in a locker room. I had been in an NHL locker room post game several times, but the NFL or rather the Buffalo Bills did not allow women to be in the locker room. So working game days, it didn't impact my job, but I could see how if I was working at a full-time in a full-time position that it would. And so this organization didn't, hire me and I almost wonder if maybe that was why but regardless it was incredibly it was it was incredible gender bias that I would not be able to do my job because uh, of my gender so I have for me it, it hasn't been what people have said directly 
And I am also, anyone who knows me knows this about me, that I'm not one to shy away from a fight. <laughs> I, am, I am going to stand up for myself. And if that means that I am, you know, sounding a little rude, then so be it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to stand up for what's right. And if you call me, I mean, this, this literally happened two weeks ago that someone called me cutie. And I promptly grew very angry. <laughs> and I said, would you call this male coworker of mine a cutie? Would you call that male coworker of mine a cutie? Would you call this person a cutie? And it, it was just so shocking to everybody that someone had stood up to this person and said something. But I think that, that that's kind of what we have to do as women when we're called those things and called a cutie or called a sweetie or called standoffish. We have to be willing to stand up and say, hey, that's not right. You would never call my male coworker a cutie. You would never call someone, you know, in who was a male in my position standoffish just because they don't want to talk to you. You would yeah. never do that. So why would you do that to me? That's right. not okay. And, and it's easy to do that when it's implicit bias, right? When you're, when you're dealing with someone who is obviously being... Uh, prejudicing you based on your gender it's easy to do that but when it's those implicit things like not getting a physician because of your gender or um you know being told that you have to dress a certain way or feeling like you have to dress a certain way that's a little bit harder to to stand up to because you you feel like you can't necessarily say well i know that i was prejudiced against because i have to wear this and my male counterpart can wear that it's harder to stand up and say that but this is going, this is really circumventing your question. No, you're fine. <laughs> I'm realizing this now. <laughs> but I think, like, it's it's just so, it's so hard for women to deal with this. And I'm, I'm kind of doing this passion project of mine right now that's talking to different women in various levels of media relations, various levels of, you know, whether mm-hmm. it's Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAIA, different levels levels rookies in the in the profession been in the profession for a long time um you know people of color you know i'm I'm trying to get different ideas from different people talking to these women about their experiences because especially after my cutie situation (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to hear how other women would put up with this so i'm talking to a whole bunch of women and it seems like everyone is having the same situation that i am that we're not, we may not be explicitly biased against, we may not be, you know, told that we can't do something because we're a woman, but it's, you know, a coach going behind your back saying that they don't want to work with you because you're a woman. It's, um, you know, guys feeling like they're, uh, sense like they have to censor themselves telling a dirty joke because you're a woman or, you know, making little comments like that. It's those little things that add up that make you realize as a woman that you are different. (laughs) And you, there are people that feel like you do not belong. And it's those little things that build up that really kind of chip away at your self-confidence and make you feel like you're not good enough. Like you don't deserve to be here. Mm -hmm. So it's my, my whole mission in life is to really try and build people up and especially women and say, you know, you do belong here. Don't let anyone tell you that you don't belong here because you do. And anyone who says that you don't is foolish because they don't know you and they don't know what you're capable of. And they don't know 
everything that you've had to fight for to get here and all those people who tell you that you can't possibly know about football because you're a woman or, hey, little lady, you know, this this stat means this. And, you know, things like that, it just, it's it's okay to deal. It's not okay to deal with that, but it's okay to fight back against that. And I think that that's what makes, that's what makes you stronger. Um. When you conf- I, I just, I'm just curious. When you confront these people about uh, these indirect prejudices, like you said, what is their reaction? I mean, do they know that they're that they're saying these things, or, I mean, I, yeah, just go ahead and tell us about that. Most of the time, they have no idea, and and that's the thing. It's it's so inadvertent, and you almost can't, or rather, I try not to fault people on that because. No one has probably stood up to them and told them that it's not okay to call a woman a cutie or a sweetie. Um, And so that's kind of how I look at it. I look at it as trying to be gentle about it, which, again, for me is kind of hard. (laughs) Um, But I, I try and be gentle about it and say, hey, just so you know, I really didn't appreciate that you called me that name. I really didn't appreciate that you treated me that way. And that's really not okay. And here's why. Because a lot of times it's a matter it's a matter of educating um, people who tell women to smile. I get that one a lot. Someone telling me that I, you know, what's wrong? And I say, what do you mean what's wrong? And they say, well, you're not smiling today. And I say, hey, just so you know, that's that's really not okay to say. You wouldn't tell my coworker that he's not smiling. You wouldn't tell so-and-so that he's not smiling. That's That's not okay to say. I appreciate your concern. Everything is fine. I'm good. I just don't feel like smiling today. <laughs> you know, and it's it's a lot of that. You would you would not tell a a male coworker to smile. So why would you tell a, a female coworker to smile? Mm-hmm. So I think it's a lot of it's a lot of educating because people aren't usually educated on on gender equality, on mm-hmm. how to treat genders equally. That's that's more what I'm trying to say. Not yeah. gender equality, but you know. So when, when I know you touched on this a little bit and what would you, what are some uh, strategies or some things you would, you, you tell other women or other minorities uh, in the sport industry uh, to kind of tell themselves when these things do happen? I mean, like you said, it, it'll chip away at your confidence. I think it's a matter and I'll, uh, I know I've said this before, but I yeah. think it's a matter of knowing yourself and believing in yourself. You are your own best advocate. And I, I say this in my blog post on Sparkles and Sports, you are your own best advocate. Nobody knows you better than you. Nobody knows what you need better than you. No one knows what you're capable of more than you. And I think it's a matter of believing in that and being able to fight for yourself. You can have a mentor. I think mentors are wonderful and you need to have a mentor, but you also need to be your own mentor. And you need to be able to fight for yourself and stand up for yourself and say when someone tells you that you're not good enough or makes you believe that you're not good enough, you need to say, you know what? No, I know that I'm good enough. I know that I'm good at what I do. I have these people who tell me that I'm good at what I do. I have these these things to show for it. And I don't need this old guy telling me that I you know, don't know football to tell me, to make me believe that I'm not good enough. I know that I am. Yeah. And, and it's a lot of, you have to have that implicit self-confidence and that wherewithal to know that you're good and 
not let anyone make you feel like you're not. And when they start to, that's when you have to take a step back and say, no, no, I'm not going to let you do this to me. I'm not going to let you dictate how I feel, how I believe in myself. Yeah. Um, you kind of said this a little bit. Do you get that more from the older generation? Do you get it from the younger or do you get it from everybody? I get it from everybody. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I feel like, um, in, in the older generation, it's definitely more explicit. So I have, I have had, um, a, a coworker, loosely affiliated coworker, tell me to smile who is older. And I have called him out on it numerous times, gently, gently called him out on it numerous times. <laughs> um, and I have not had a younger person tell me that, but I have also had younger people sometimes if I'm not wearing a lot of makeup, say things to me like, Oh, are you feeling okay today? You hmm. look like you're sick today. And that's still, that's still promoting gender bias, right? You, I mean, if I choose one day to not wear mascara because my eyes are bothering me or it's dry and I just don't feel like wearing mascara, that doesn't make it okay for you to, to look at me and say, oh, are you, are, are you feeling sick today? Like, that's not okay. No, I'm not feeling sick. I just didn't feel like wearing makeup. And if you don't know the difference, that's not my problem. But that's still, that's still gender bias. It's, it's a matter of treating, treating a woman the same way that you would treat a man. You would not go up to a guy who wasn't wearing gel in his hair one day <laughs> and say, are you, are you okay? Are you feeling okay? You wouldn't do that. So why would you do that to a woman? It's those little things. I find that it's more implicit in younger men and more explicit in older men. So how can we get rid of this? <laughs> Isn't <laughs> the that big the broad question. Dollar question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I think with everything, it's a matter of education. Everything is a matter of education. And that's why I try to gently tell people and explain why this is not okay. Why it is not okay for you to tell me to smile. Why it's not okay for you to tell me to not be so standoffish. Or, you know, educating people and telling them that this isn't okay and here's why. Life is all about education. You're your experiences are all based on education. So I think it's a lot of just, you know, taking it and, and making people understand why it's not okay, why why it's not okay to treat another human being that way. And that's in life. Right. You know, that's with every situation, every situation, why, how we as a society can better treat people. People need to understand why it's not okay that they, that they say the things that they do. I want to move on. Uh, to some fun questions I like to ask everybody at the end. Great conversation, by the way. I loved every second of it. Um, <laughs> um, favorite memory from either all the way at Buffalo, all the way up to San Diego State, whatever. Oh, this this is easy. <laughs> I, I, as I mentioned, am a huge Die Hard Devils fan. Right. And um, the, the season after, or rather, the... The summer that I worked for the Devils, my desk was on the way to Lou Lamorello's office. And John McLean, who played for the Devils, was one of my family's favorite players growing up, was named the head coach of the Devils that summer. 
Uh-huh. And every summer, or rather every day, he would walk past my desk and say hi. A very lovely man, very friendly, warm. Um, you don't have to say hi to a summer intern, but he said hi to me every single day. So by the end of the summer, he knew my name, which to me was just an unbelievable, incredible, <laughs> just insane. And that season, the Sabres played the Devils in October, early in the season. And I was at the game visiting with the communications staff, Jeff Allstatter, who's now at the um, USGA. And, you know, I was visiting with him, just kind of chit-chatting, talking about you know, my goals and my life and where I see myself, that type of thing. The game went into overtime, and um, Ilya Kovalchuk, who at the time was with the Devils, a short-lived, terrible career with the Devils, scored the game winner in overtime beat the Sabres, they're coming, Jeff and I are standing in the tunnel on the route, on the route to the Devils locker room, and they're coming off the ice, and John McClain looks at me and says, Jen, you're our good luck charm, <laughs> points at me and looks directly at me and says that, and on the outside, I'm, oh yeah, thanks coach, and on the inside, I am... I cannot even explain how I felt. It was like it was a party. I I walked out of the arena later that night, called my dad and said, John McClain just told me I was the devil's good luck charm. No big deal. And it, it was mass hysteria in my household. Everyone just so excited. It was it was the pinnacle of everything that had happened to me up to that point that okay, this is why I'm doing this is why I'm doing what I'm doing because I just had John McClain tell me that I'm the devil's good luck charm. Like no big deal. So um, yeah, go ahead. No, it it was just incredible. Um, On the other side of the coin, your biggest horror story so far, and that's with uh, sports information. How how about we start there? Um, This is not necessarily a horror story. This is, this is a very sad story, but um, my last day at Penn state, I, you know, didn't really have a whole lot to do. I had wrapped up lacrosse season, um, wrapped up everything for women's soccer, gotten everything ready to go, and I was planning to leave work early to drive up to Buffalo to see some of my friends that still live up there, and I had left my phone on my desk, gone upstairs to do something, and I come back, and I have a voicemail from the editor of Inside Lacrosse saying, hey, Jen, just wanted to confirm that this was true, but I just heard that Connor Darcy was in a car accident and was killed. Connor Darcy at the time was the starting goalie yeah. for the Penn State men's cross team. And I had not heard from coach. I heard, hadn't heard from anyone. And I'm thinking, what the, what the heck? Like, what is going on? So, and I, I was close with Connor. We went to, we did a big spring break trip and stayed with his family um, in Boston, in Wellesley, actually. His parents live in Wellesley, and we, you know, we we played in Boston. They, His parents were at every game. Um, they were big social media people. His mom, Penny, is all over social media, and so I knew them, and I had been in their house, and I had met his grandparents. I had met his brothers. I, like, I was, this was a family that I knew, and they were one of the few that I had known, and so I call coach and I say, I just got this call. What is going on? (laughs) 
And he confirmed it that Connor the night before was in a car accident in Wellesley, was driving home from Boston and was in a car accident and was killed immediately on impact. And he was in the car with two other young men. Um, one of them survived. The other one was killed. And um, he was coach at the time was driving to Boston to be with his parents. And that was a six hour drive from state college, six or seven hours. Um, so I immediately went to my supervisor and I said, this is what's going on. Um, I got a call from Troy at inside lacrosse. I, you know, I don't know what to do. I had never dealt with a student athlete death before. And this was a student athlete that I knew and that I was intimate with, not intimate with, but I mean, I, I knew him. And sometimes you have those student athletes that, and I think we can kind of all, all play this game. We all have favorites and we say that we don't have favorites, but we do. (laughs) And, and we have kids that are just good kids and they're fun and they give good interviews and, Connor, especially his, his first interview, he was a redshirt sophomore and he was so nervous that he asked for the questions ahead of time and typed up answers and was reading the answers off of this piece of paper and the paper is shaking because he's so nervous and just little things like that, that you knew he had a great season and he was going to come back and it was going to be, it was going to be great. And, you know, he had a year starting under his belt and, you know, it was just going to be such a good year this next season. And then it's just gone. Um, so I went into my supervisor's office, told her what was going on. She went to her supervisor's office, told him what was going on. And at Penn state, they dealt with a number of student athlete deaths. So there was kind of a protocol as to what to do. Um, more and more media requests started coming in. So we kind of pieced together a release and put that out there. Um, talked to the family, tried to figure out what they wanted to do, how they wanted to handle it. And then I just left and it was my last day at Penn state. So then it's, then it kind of wasn't my problem anymore, but I was still feeling this thing that was so raw. This, this kid, this 20 year old that I had known so well was just gone. And I, I, I still look back on it and I still, you know, follow the team's progress and still feel so attached to them because of that. And even though I didn't deal with it the next season and I was only their SID for a year, it's just something that makes you feel so strongly. And it's something that I'll never forget that, you know, we do as sports information professionals, I think we forget how much of an impact or that we even make an impact in these kids' lives or rather the impact that they make in our life. It's easy to forget that because you're not coaching them. And sometimes you're not traveling with them. And sometimes, you know, you're not seeing them every day, but they still make an impact in your life and vice versa. So that's, that's not really a horror story, but it's, it's definitely the, the most, the saddest, most touching thing that's happened to me as an SID. Uh, It's never easy to deal with. And yeah, really sorry to hear that. Um, I won't take up too much more of your time. Um, what, when you look around the country, you know, your division, your conference, and you say uh, to another sports information professional, that is a good SID. What are some characteristics or qualities that he or she has? 
cool under pressure. That is the number one, the number one thing. You have to be cool under pressure. And I see so many SIDs who are not, who are very uh, hot-tempered. And this this one took a very long time for me to figure out because I am by I, I'm I'm from New Jersey. I was raised by a New Yorker. I usually <laughs> am very quick to anger, <laughs> but I think being an SID is a lot about crisis management, and it's about okay when something goes wrong, how can I deal with this? How can I handle this? You know, it's um, yeah we. This season in women's basketball, we've had a few issues with the shot clock, with, you know, our table crew messing up. And it's a matter of looking at the situation and say, okay, well, what in this situation can I control? What in this situation can I not control? Letting go of what you can't control and trying to control what you can. So going up to the table crew saying, okay, what's going on? Why are we having these issues? Is it an equipment malfunction? Is it you know, are are you okay? Is there something going on that I need to know about? How can I best help you? It's, I mean, that's, that is the number one quality that I think as an SID you have to know is, you know, what can I control and what can I not control and how can I let, a, let go of what I cannot control? I mean, that's in life too, but that would be my number one, my number one trait, um, confidence, I see a lot of SIDs who are scared of not, maybe not scared, but trepidatious when dealing with coaches or student athletes or, um, other maybe TV personalities, but you have to be strong enough to stand up. And if you need to, if you've never dealt with your football coach, you need to be able to go up and say, Hey coach, I, this person, that person, this person needs to talk to you today. I'm going to, drag you over (laughs) our football coach rocky long is an incredibly kind man he's very warm and squishy and just a really (laughs) gentle human Uh but he has this persona of being being very grumpy (laughs) and and he also likes to go off on tangents and kind of you know hang out and he wants to talk to everybody so when i deal with him because i'm i'm the third contact on football here at san diego state so when i deal with him it's a lot of me following him and saying, hey, coach, we need to talk to the San Diego Union Tribune. Hey, coach, we need to go and talk to this person. Hey, coach, like just gently nudging him in the direction, but being being firm about it, but also being confident and knowing that he's going to listen to me because he knows that I'm not trying to steer him astray. I'm trying to promote his program and best, you know, elevate the status of his program. Right. Uh- so I think confidence is a big one, too. Uh, one thing you're interested to learn more about to better yourself in this profession? Photoshop. <laughs> That's the big one. And I am constantly following um, school, I think it's called School Sparks. Yeah. On Twitter and uh, Trenches is a really good one to follow. We don't have any sort of graphic designer or creative coordinator position here at State. And so I'm the one that does it. And I find it really interesting and i'm super excited for all of the photoshop panels at cosida this year which i will be attending if anyone else is let me know would love to meet up um but yeah i that's my number one thing is photoshop uh one piece of advice you give to a student going into this profession oh 
um, I, oh, I don't even know. Well, that's all right. Um, I think a lot of, I think just be strong, know what you want and just take it from there. Everything will work out how it's supposed to work out. Believe me, I had no idea that I, I had no inkling that I was going to end up in San Diego, but here I am in San Diego and I just trusted that the process was going to take me where it needed to go and it worked out. Um, work-life balance. What do you do to have fun? (laughs) (laughs) I hate work-life balance. I hate that question. I think it's designed to make people feel guilty for working too much, but (laughs) I, 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 um, I mean, I live in San Diego, so I'm outside all the time right Uh now. I'm very sunburned because I've been outside all week. Um, I like to hike. I like to rock climb. I, um, I like to do a lot of things, you know, just hang outside and hang out with friends. I went to the World Baseball Classic last night at Petco mm. Park. Um, unfortunately, did not stay through the game, left right before the eighth inning. So, you know, that was when all the excitement happened. But, you know, I just try and get out and enjoy the fact that I live in this city that people vacation in. Um, next time someone's in San Diego, what's your restaurant or bar recommendation? Uh, I would say first to them, what type of experience are you looking for? (laughs) Then I would say, what type of food do you like? I actually, so before I worked at San Diego State, I worked at a store in a very touristy part of San Diego. And so I was kind of a de facto uh, travel advisor. (laughs) So I have a whole list of like, if you want to, if you're looking for this type of experience, go here. If you're looking for this type of experience, go here. But if you like beer, San Diego is your number one spot for craft beer. There are so many microbreweries here in San Diego. There's a lot of really cool coffee shops. I mean, obviously, Mexican food is unreal here. Seafood, same thing, really good. There are really good Japanese and other Asian restaurants here, good Korean restaurants. I mean, you could find everything here. It's great. Um, if someone wanted to get in touch with you, if they had questions or wanted to follow up with you, what would be the best way to do it? Um, I'm on Twitter, unfortunately, all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, so shoot me a direct message on Twitter or, you know, follow me on Twitter. Would love to connect with people. You can shoot me an email. Um, it's jheisel, H-E-I-S-E-L at mail.sdsu.edu. Um, but yeah, I mean, I... I'm all for connecting with people. Again, if you're going to Cosida, I will be there. Thankfully, very excited to win the Cosida attendance grant. So I'll be there with the Job Seekers Committee. I'll be tooling around town. So if you want to meet up, let me know. So, yeah. yeah. Jen, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was fun. I, I no... feel like I talked a lot, but, no. you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. I thought it was fun. I mean, yeah. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Um, we do have basketball starting tonight, so everybody, stop working and go to Buffalo Wild Wings because you need that work-life balance. Yeah. Yeah. You need it. That's where I'm going tonight, um, even though Louisville plays tomorrow, but, you know, it's whatever. Uh, thank you all for listening. That was episode 17 of SID Cast with Jen Heisel of San Diego State. Uh there is also, you can find sparklesandsports.com. Um, yeah, got that plug in there for you. And then, as always, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter 
I'm sorry, my shower's going on in the background. Uh, uh, backslash Sports InfoCast. And as always, our email is sportsinfocast at gmail.com. If you want to tell me that you like it, you hate it, I'd still love to hear from you. So thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you all next Thursday.